All right. How we doing? How we doing, church? Pretty fun to be together this morning, huh? So we are, um, you know, it's amazing that we get to be together as a kingdom family, and it's actually really fitting that we get to do these children dedications today as families because we have been preaching and meditating through spiritual maturity, all right? Somebody say that with me, spiritual maturity. We've been studying spiritual development and maturity as we've been studying the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Raise your hand if you've been around for this Ephesians series at all. All right, this morning, we are in part nine, okay? So we've been, we've been eight weeks in Ephesians, and in the same way that babies... Toddlers, little ones, cannot grow up into full adulthood without the nourishment, love, guidance, connection, and correction of parents and family. And the same way, spiritual children cannot grow up into spiritual maturity without the love, nourishment, connection, and correction of a spiritual family. That's why the church is called the, come on, somebody with me, household of God. Thank you, Mr. Morley, okay? Do you see the parallels here? The church is God's family. It's his household. He's the father. Jesus became like his brothers to adopt us into the family of God. And it is in the household of God that we grow up spiritually. Check it out. This is why it is really, really hard to grow spiritually if you are not connected with a spiritual family. Some of you are struggling or may have had seasons where you struggled in your spiritual growth because you were trying to do Lone Ranger Christianity, which is not the Christianity of the Word of God in the New Testament. It is a struggle to grow spiritually if you're not connected with a spiritual family. So we've been talking about these definitions of human development and spiritual development. Scientists define human development as this, the process of change and growth that takes place between birth and maturity. How long will it take, these little ones that we saw up here, these newborns, how many years will it take for them to go from newborn baby to full-grown adult? 18 years. 18 years for them to physically reach adulthood. It's, an, it's 25 years for their brains to finish forming. So human development is a process, right? Spiritual development, this is going to encourage some of you this morning, is a process, right? Praise God. You're not just going to get born again and then grow up and be a fully mature believer like in six months to a year. And so we've been working with this definition of spiritual development. Spiritual development is the process of change and growth that takes place between rebirth and what the Bible calls your new self. As we learn to cast off the old, put on the new. Renounce darkness, receive light, reject our flesh, and be renewed in our spirits, we can become holy as he is holy. Now, holiness is not perfection. Holiness means to be set apart. Do you know that God is different? Do you know that Jesus was different? Do you know that the people that got close to Jesus and followed Jesus were very different They were holy. And through the new birth of God's grace, we can become holy as he 
is holy. That's why the church is supposed to be the salt and light of the earth. The normal Christian expression is that we are different. We're different. And so I feel like it's time for a little Ephesians recap, all right? So if you've missed this series, you're going to get about eight weeks and about four minutes, all right? How many of you guys like the big picture? How many of you like the big picture and then, and then you know, create the buildup for me and show me the context? You're going to love the next four minutes. We're going to do a quick recap because where we're going today in chapter five, it is the kind of, give me some, somebody give me a drum roll. It's like the drum roll of a Ephesians, it's like the whole letter has been building up to this, I believe, this passage where he tells us the secret of everything he's been writing to them about. I'll tell you what it is in a minute, all right? So you hang in there with me. But here's the recap. Chapter one, he starts off, it was called the gospel of our salvation. We see that through the blood of Jesus Christ, let's get this slide up here, we are adopted into the family of God. We are lavished with his grace. We are forgiven of our debts. We are blessed with his favor. We are enlightened to his will. We're invited into his purposes, enriched by his inheritance, sealed with his Holy Spirit, and that is the first 10 verses of this letter. And it's all in him. Somebody say, in him, we have redemption through his blood. This is what the blood of Jesus on the cross, when he died in your place for your sin, it bought you all of this. And it offers it to you as a free gift. That's the gospel. That's the good news. In chapter one, he just launches into, this is the good news of the message of Jesus. Chapter two, he continues the gospel revelation by unpacking the resurrection nature of salvation. Remember Baptism Sunday? We put a big horse trough up here. We dunked 13 people. Okay, why? Because baptism is a prophetic picture of death, to resurrection, okay? So in chapter two, he says that death to life is the miracle that happens when we call on Jesus. Listen, this is why what we're doing here is not religion, it's resurrection. There's a big difference. Listen, religion is God's attempt to make him him or herself, sorry, man's attempt, it's our attempt to make ourselves better. And God says, you actually can't be better because you're dead. You need to be new. The gospel is not get really religious and try to become a better person. The gospel is you're such a bad person, actually, without God, you're dead. And so we need to resurrect you to a new life. And so in chapter two, he shows us that it is by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's not some religious thing we could ever accomplish. It's the gift of God. Come on. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. But look, when we trust in Jesus, we become his workmanship, a new creation in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's chapter two, but he goes on. God adopts, God doesn't just save us for us. It's not some individual thing. In chapter three, he shows us that we're saved to be adopted into the family, the church, the household. 
When we get saved, when we become a new creation, we become a part of something that is so much bigger than my own testimony, my own redemption, my own salvation. Are you with me? We become a part of his family. Check this out. We become a part of his story. Another way of saying history, if you didn't know that. It's his story. Chapter three says, it unpacks for us the mystery of salvation, that God's plan is through his family to make his glory and wisdom known on the earth. Chapter three, check this out, don't miss this piece. That to him who is able to do far more abundantly all of this work that God is doing on the earth, check it out, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according, somebody read it with me, to the power at work Where? Within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So something is going on here. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about us, and it's about something in us, and it's about something through us. Are you following me in the first three chapters so far? So chapters one through three, it's all about the gospel, it's all about the plans of God, and it's all about our identity as adopted children, but then something turns in chapter four, right there in the middle. If you don't know Ephesians, it's six chapters. Something turns in the middle, and it becomes all about instruction. In other words, how do we partner with God to walk this thing out and actually see his ways become the earth's ways? And we see in chapter four, he turns the corner and he begins to urge us to walk it out. Somebody say, walk it out. out. Say, hey man, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, right? That's like the biggest criticism of Christianity of all time, right? Is what? Oh, all these hypocrites, they talk the talk, they don't walk the walk. It's actually biblical. Through the whole second half of Ephesians, Paul says, walk it out. You've been made new, the gospel did a miracle in you, now act like it walk it out. And there's five different exhortations where he calls us to walk differently. We're going to fly through them. Check it out. Ephesians 4, 1. I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He calls us to walk in humility. The second one, Ephesians 4, 17. I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer, come on church, walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Come on, number three, it's Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Are you seeing what he's doing here? He's like, look, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in your humility. Walk no longer like you used to walk in your old ways, but walk in the love of Jesus. Become an imitator of God because now you're a child of God. And then in Ephesians 5 verse 8, at what time, one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Do you see how it's not like you're somewhere in the middle? He's like, no, no, you were darkness, now you are light. Walk as children of the light, found in all that is good, right, true, he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So look, in a few short paragraphs, Paul calls us out of our immaturity, our immorality, our pride, our unforgiveness. Do you guys know that they would have read this whole letter in a single sitting? We've taken eight weeks. They would have read this whole letter in a single setting. So you might be saying, man, this guy's been preaching for 10 minutes and I'm, this is already too much. Hey, 
Can we grow up, church? Okay, come on, get out your Bible. Take some notes. Let's, let's actually feast on God's word because they would have read this whole thing in one sitting. He calls them out of their immaturity, their immorality, their pride, their unforgiveness, their bitterness, their anger. Come on, he's going to get you. Their deception, corrupt speech, covetousness, greed, slander, idolatry, impurity, unrighteousness. He does it in a few sentences. He calls us out of the old and into the new. And it's all about to culminate. Because check this out. Everything that he has been calling them to, the vision on their lives as the children of God, this high calling of what it means to be children of God, children of the light, to be the representative children of God on a planet that has gone mad, lost its mind, embraced everything that is wrong and wicked, this high calling, he then gives us in chapter five the one thing that makes it possible. Everything that he just called us to, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, humility, walking no longer in our old dark ways, walking in the love of God, walking in the light of Christ, all of it is impossible without this one thing. Turn to chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk. This is number five. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Pause. Look at me real quick. How many of you have ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? How many of you have ever asked that question? I just wish I knew what God's will Can I encourage you? The Bible tells you in at least three places that I can think of exactly what God's will is for your life. Google, do a quick word search. You will find exactly the will of God for your life. This is one of them. Okay, re-enter, verse 18. Check it out. Understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Church, God's will for your life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And everything that Paul has been teaching, writing, exhorting them to for the last four and a half chapters leading up to this point, it is absolutely impossible for us to accomplish in and of our own strength, in and of our own self-control. It is only possible for us to step into the high calling of the kingdom with the high provision of the Holy Spirit. Who was clapping? Is that my wife? Come on. I'm going to say that again, because if you have any love or revelation of the kingdom in your heart, that is incredible news, okay? The only way that it's possible for us to step into the high calling of the kingdom is with the high provision of the Holy Spirit, all right? And so this is why this is good news, guys. God's will is for you to be filled, God's will, and we're going to unpack what the spirit-filled life looks like here in a minute, but I want to tell you this. Grace is one of the pillars of our church, 
And we know in Ephesians 2 that it's by grace that we have been saved. But I have to tell you, church, grace is not there just to save you. Grace is the door by which we enter the kingdom, but grace is also the empowerment by which we live the new life in the kingdom, specifically the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, which chapter one told us, the moment we hear, say hear, and believe, say believe, we get sealed. Hear, believe, sealed. The moment we hear the good news, believe in Jesus, we get sealed with the Holy Spirit. Grace is not just the door by which we enter the kingdom. It is the empowerment of the Spirit by which we live a new life in the kingdom. So before I tell you how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I've got to teach you a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. So if, you're, if you've got your Bible, go to the very first page, Genesis 1. Because this is so cool that the Holy Spirit literally makes his cameo appearance in the second verse of the entire Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Oh, and look who's there. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We know that in Genesis, by about chapter three, the story turns south pretty quick. We decide not to obey God and honor him, but to rebel against God and honor his enemy. And instead of the world being filled with the glory of God through mankind, which was the plan, the world got filled with sin and darkness through mankind. We pledged our allegiance to the false king, and so we filled the earth with sin and brokenness. And so from that point, God had been enacting a plan of redemption to restore both humanity and the planet. And Galatians 4 shows us how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we say the Trinity, were all involved in this plan. Look at me real quick, church. Look at me real quick. The doctrine of the Trinity is only confusing if you don't have faith, if you don't believe the word of God. God is one. We read that earlier in Deuteronomy 6. He is one. But the manifestation of his being is so complex and beautiful that he actually manifests in three distinct personalities and beings, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of them are working together from the beginning of time to bring redemption to the world. And look how they did it together, okay? So a few thousand years later, The fullness of time had come for redemptive history. God the Father sent forth his son. So we got the Father and the Son. Jesus was born of a woman under the law so that he could redeem those who were under the law. All that means is this. It was through a man that sin came and broke the world. So it had to be through a man that righteousness came to redeem the world. Look, God didn't just sit around and go, let me think about the craziest, weirdest way to redeem humanity. I've got a great idea. Virgin birth, crucifixion, we'll roll the stone away. Oh, we'll just kind of blow everybody's mind. No, no, no. It was through a man, the Bible calls it the first Adam, that 
sin spread and ruined the world. So it had to be through a man on the earth that righteousness came and redeemed the earth. So God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. Come on, lead it up, leave it up there so that he could redeem those that we might receive adoption as sons. And it says this, now look who's about to come up next. Because we are sons, God then sent the spirit of his son. Look, verse six. You see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there? God the Father sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts so that inside we cry out, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you see the Trinity? This whole thing culminated. Jesus came first to pay the price of redemption. And, but before he even left, in John 14, he said, wait, 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 wait. I will send to you, look, verse 16, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came, paid a price to make a way for the Holy Spirit to come and get inside of you. Because your only hope of ever being who God made you to be, of ever being and fulfilling the high calling of the kingdom of God of your life, is if God himself gets inside of you and messes your old self up so bad that you actually become a new person. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity here. I teach my boys that the other name for the Holy Spirit is the helper. We see that right there. That's what Jesus called the Spirit, was the helper. And so my boys will come to me, and they'll say, Dad, it's hard to fill in the blank. It's, it's hard to share, Dad. Dad, it's hard to be patient when I'm building this epic block fortress, and then my four-year-old sister just comes in on a tear. I just want to, Dad, it's hard. I'm like, I know it is hard, especially with your four-year-old sister. I get it. It's hard, you know? Or, Dad, it's, it is hard to pray. Dad, it is hard when I get $2 from the tooth fairy to want to tithe off of it, okay? Because teach them early, right? <laughs> You're like, you make your kids tithe off the tooth fairy money? Yeah, we'll talk about it later, all right? But look, like, Dad, it's hard to obey God. And I get down with my kids, and I'm like, buddy, it is. Like, I know it's not always easy. It's not always easy for me. But that's why God gave us help. I say, buddy, what's the other name of the Holy Spirit? And all of my sons, eight, six, and six, Brooks is getting there. All of my sons say, the Holy Helper. I say, you are not alone. You have help. Will you ask him to help you? Oh, it's so sad when we have help and we don't use it, <laughs> right? I mean, moms, in honor of our incredible mothers on Baby Dedication Sunday, okay? Dads, let's be honest, okay? Our wives are amazing. They hold this whole operation together in such a powerful way. I mean, I don't even know. They, they sleep at least half of what we sleep, okay? They're, they're constantly meal prepping, cleaning, not to mention that they, for a lot of the life, their lives for the last several years for us, their bodies have been invaded by an alien life form inside 
sight of them, right? Okay, our mom, moms are incredible. Y'all, church family, moms need help, okay? I call my wife a superhero. She is, but I also see her at her worst when it's really hard. Our moms need help. And how sad would it be if we gave all of our moms a list? Hey, hey, we're going to create a list of all the young adults and all the college students who think they're so busy in this season of life. Come on, I'm going to jab you for a second. But they actually, come on, parents, have no idea how much free time they have right now. We're going to create a list. We're going to create a list of all the young adults and college students that are willing to help the moms. And we're going to text it to every mom in the church, all right? We're going to text it. So moms, look, when it's when. Wednesday morning and you're pulling your hair out, just, hey, hit up the group text. There's all these young adults. Wouldn't that be amazing, moms? But how sad would it be, moms, if we created that and you sat there on a Wednesday morning and never took advantage of it, never reached out for help? That is where most of us live our lives with the Holy Spirit. We have the helper invading inside of us, and we hit the hardness of life and the tough road of following Jesus, and we get the first part right, which is, this is so hard. (laughs) And we just miss the second part, which is, Holy Spirit, help me. We have a helper, and all of what God has called us into is impossible without his help. So back to Ephesians 5, why he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you four. You guys got the big picture? Are we good? Let's get really practical here. He unpacks for us four components of the Spirit-filled life, and I want you to know that here at Antioch, we are unashamedly a Spirit-filled church. We are going after the Holy Spirit's help in every single way. Now, we are unashamedly, 100%, a Word of God church, but I will tell you that the people that turned the world upside down in the book of Acts, the early church, they did not have a Bible, but they did have the Holy Helper. That's going to mess up some of your theology. Hey, I believe in the Word of God down to every last dot, jot, whatever you want to say, okay? But if I don't have the Spirit of God helping me, I have no hope of ever looking like this Word. And so we are unashamedly a Spirit-filled church. So here is four practicals. Some of people might say, hey, this is what a Spirit-filled life looks like. I would turn it around and say, hey, if you want a life filled with God's Spirit, wake up tomorrow and the day after and the day after and say, I'm going to commit myself to these four things daily. I promise you, if you commit yourself to these four things daily, your friends will start turning their heads going, what happened to my friend? Because she's filled with something, and they'll, maybe they'll look like you, like they did the apostles in the book of Acts when God poured out the Holy Spirit, right? Like, man, are they drunk? Sorry, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. God pours out the Holy Spirit. All this commotion and stuff starts happening. And the people are like, these guys are so excited so early in the morning. Some of y'all thought that about me when you showed up to serve for church this morning. Because I'm a morning person. I was fired up at 7.30 a.m. Everybody else is coming up here like, is he drunk or something? What is going on? Sorry, a little inside joke for our team. All right, But look, the Holy Spirit can fill and change you if you commit to these four small things every day, getting your eyes off yourself, isn't that amazing? Wow, what if you woke up every day and instead of getting stuck in introspection land, and I say this from authority, 
instead of getting stuck in introspection land, you said, God, who can I encourage today? Who can I bless today? What if your quiet time was less about you and more about others? My wife actually does this amazing. She spends time with God, and then I see her on her phone. And I've learned over the years, she's not on Instagram. She's blowing people up. Because when she spends time with God, she always walks out of that place with about four encouragements for four different people. And she starts sending them. Some of y'all have been recipients of these messages. You slept in, but Arlena got up and got a word for you, and so you got the, no, I'm just kidding, it's like, but you, there is a power in encouraging other people, you know what I'm saying? Singing to the Lord. Man, some of us need to discover the power of our voice. We don't sing because it's what we've always done. We sing because when we praise God, the Bible says he inhabits that worship, So if you're stuck in a hard situation and you need God to show up, you have a biblical promise that he dwells in your worship. So open your mouth and sing. Literally, Levi, my son, he's six years old. He has been struggling at night so much with just some some dark thoughts and some really hard thoughts, okay? And he's, the other night, was saying, Dad, I can't stop thinking about this thing. I can't stop thinking about it. You know, what do I do? And I was like, well, buddy, you know what to do. Your, your weapon is worship. You know what to do, so, so let's sing. He's like, Daddy, will you just sing over me? And so I just started making up a song. I started singing this song. Um, what was it? I set my mind on things above. I set my mind on Jesus' love. I just make up songs. I set my mind on things above. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. It doesn't have to rhyme, okay? He's like, I literally, I just start singing over him in his bed. I'm, so I'm, I'm doing one and two. I'm encouraging him, and I'm singing a song to the Lord, and it's like the entire atmosphere of the room changes. This dark thought that is trying to invade his mind, I'm teaching this to my six-year-old. Y'all, we need to learn how to do this too. I know what city we live in. I know what thoughts you battle at night. We need to learn how to sing to the Lord. Come on. We don't just sing on Sundays because they're up here leading us. Oh, it is a weapon in your hand. And then we cultivate gratitude. That's pretty self-explanatory. Thankfulness creates a spirit-filled life. And then submission, humility. And it's interesting that the, a key to the spirit-filled life is actually mutual submission here. He says, submit to one another. It's very hard to have a spirit-filled and overflowing life when there's pride and when you insist in your own way over other people's all, all the time. But here's why this is so powerful that he calls us to mutual submission here because the very next verse, and some of this, we're, we're, you're gonna think this is a big whoa, a big U-turn, okay? But, but look at where he goes immediately after this passage, I debated preaching these things together because usually we separate them. And I was like, ah, we need another Sunday for this. But I'm like, no, no, no. I thought the Lord said, I wrote it together. You preach it together. So the band's gonna come up here as as we prepare to respond to this word. But look at the very next verses in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 33, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You're like, oh man, this was a great service about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you started talking about headship and submission and husbands and wives. Oh man, I don't know if I like this message anymore. Do you know I'm reading the same paragraph in the anointed, holy, inspired word of God? Why? Why? Because it is impossible to have a spirit-filled marriage and it is impossible to together with your spouse lead a spirit-filled family if you are not first a spirit-filled person, all right? Listen, spirit-filled people walk in mutual submission. So let me just settle this whole husband and wives, headship, inequality, egalitarian, complementarian thing. Look, we are called, all of us to a number, to submit to one another another out of reverence for King Jesus because we're all under him. Check, listen, listen. The way that a husband submits to his wife is by loving her intentionally, sacrificing for her regularly, and leading her and their family gently. Husbands, that's how you submit to your wife. The way wives submit to their husbands is by respecting their work, respecting their identity, and respecting their calling of leadership and headship. Do you notice, wives, how much easier your list is? It's really just one thing. Guys, we're simple. We're simple dudes. But look, stay with me. I know we're ending on this. Oh, man, he told to pull this thing out in the last seven minutes here. Look, look, husbands, I want to talk to you. If you will submit to Jesus, become a spirit-filled husband that loves your wife intentionally, sacrifices for her regularly, leads her with gentleness, if you will become a spirit-filled husband, do you know how easy it will be for your wife to respect you? Do you know how easy it will be for your wife to follow you? Do you know how easy it will be Make it easy on your wife, husbands. Be a spirit-filled man so you can have a spirit-filled marriage and so you can lead a spirit-filled family where God is entrusting to us the infants and the toddlers and the next generation because church, it is impossible. I'm gonna read this. It is impossible to be who God's called us to be. Look at this. Spirit-filled family starts with spirit-filled fathers who are submitted to Jesus and are sacrificially loving their wives, who are also seeking wives to be spirit-filled as they come under the appointed leadership of their husbands. In spirit-filled partnership with the helper, husband and wives partner together to raise godly offspring who will know and fear the Lord and who will follow the unified example of their parents into a spirit-filled life with Jesus. We are unashamedly a spirit-filled church 
It starts with us being spirit-filled individuals, but here's the deal, husbands and wives, it's more about order than it is about equality, all right? It's more about roles than it is about value. Of course, husbands and wives are equal in the eyes of God. Male and female, he created them, okay? But listen, God's order matters. It matters in the household. It matters in your home, and check this out, it matters in the household of God. People have been coming to me the last few weeks. Hey, what, what do you think about women and ministry and, you know, empowering women? I'm like, do you know that the first hire I made as lead pastor of this church was I brought a woman onto our staff to be a co-worship director with this man? because I love the empowerment of women and their giftings and callings. But healthy empowerment of women happens underneath healthy leadership and strength of men who are leading into their God-given role to be the head of their homes and to be the the leaders in the household of God as well. It is only when there's a void created by passive men. Does this thing get confusing? Are we okay? God's order matters. Let's stand up. God's order matters. His order matters. But here's the thing. When grace saved you, grace sealed you with the Holy Spirit, and it's impossible for us to be who God made us to be and called us to be without His Holy Spirit. And so here's how we're gonna finish. I know I may have just pushed on some of your buttons. I apologize, that was not my intention, but it's only confusing in God's word when we make it confusing, all right? The point of the matter is, is that none of us have any hope without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna respond, and that's how we're gonna respond this morning. We're just gonna sing, God, would you fill me? And I just encourage you to do business with the Lord, whatever that means for you. If God pushed on something in you today, just say, Lord, come and fill me up. Let your love come and help me. Jesus, we thank you. You haven't left us as orphans. You haven't left us as orphans. We honor you, the giver of the Holy Spirit. Come on, begin to just open your heart to the help of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been struggling needlessly in your own efforts when the helper's right there. I feel like today he was just saying, would you just ask me? Would you just ask me? That thing that's so hard, would you just ask me to help? Let's lift our voices today and ask the helper to come. In Jesus' name.